is this perception we have that there is a single, solitary individual operating out of this organism. Welcome to the Urban Guru Cafe. That was the voice of Robert Wolfe. I already spoke with him this week. Thank you, already. I'm uh, pleased to hear from you. I've been aware of the Urban Guru Cafe since the beginning. And I also know of Gilbert's books, and I want to say it's a valuable service that you folks are providing. First of all, to describe the book that we're talking about, the title is Living Non-Duality, and it's subtitled Enlightenment Teachings of Self-Realization. It's 444 pages, soft cover, and there's 238 concise monographs on various aspects of non-dual realization, written over the past two decades since my awakening. It's number two on Amazon in the category of non-duality at present. Your listeners can sample the book free at livingnonduality.org, and there are also several brief videos of me. The monograph that begins on page one is somewhat biographical, Most all the others were written in response to questions that arose in dozens of one-on-one discussions that I've held, or group discussions, or with callers over the phone, letters to prison inmates, things like that. I should also mention, since we're talking about books, that Michael Lommel, my publisher, is now publishing a second book called The Gospel of Thomas. That one's 228 pages, and there's a free PDF download at my website, Again, livingnonduality.org. And that book will be available in soft covers soon. I mentioned the publisher, Michael Lommel. His company's called Karina Library, and that's a dot com. That's here in Ohio where I live, and uh, I've been getting emails through him from all over. I don't have a computer myself, but he delivers them to me. how suffering ends well that depends on what you mean by suffering if you're talking about physical pain and things like that that may not necessarily ever end but basically what for example the buddhists speak about when they speak about suffering is what i think we could call confusion let me give a little background there about 1988 my second wife and i divorced and i recognized that i had put aside what you might call the spiritual quest when I married. We were married for 10 years. And so after that divorce, it was clear to me already that I was in a state of confusion. In other words, what is this life all about? Why are things going the way they're going and so on? And if you're in confusion, all that you do is out of confusion. Where there's clarity, all that you do is out of clarity. So the emphasis for me was to put to the top of my agenda this matter of clarity. I 
bought a camper van and lived in the redwood forest near where I had lived. And for three years, I did nothing basically but read spiritual material and contemplate what these teachers were saying and take long walks in the forest. And after three years of that immersion, you might say, and focus, something suddenly fell into place. And so from that time on, I've been living out of that place of clarity rather than the place of confusion. So that's where the suffering ends. The suffering ends when clarity is present and confusion is no longer green. What is the essence of this confusion? What's going on? What exactly? Well, the essence of it is one word, I. In other words, the center of our confusion is this perception we have that there is a single, solitary individual operating out of this organism. And it's a natural conclusion, given our upbringing, in other words, uh, we're conditioned to, to that viewpoint that that there's a separate me, a separate person. So that is where division begins. In other words, as long as there's a me, there's a you. As long as there's a me, there are other things besides me and threatening things and so on and so forth. So that's where the confusion really begins, is with this perception that we're conditioned to that we're some kind of a separate, individuated entity. And the teachings try to bring us or can bring us to the recognition that this is a false identification, that basically you might say we have no identification, but if we're going to look towards anything that exists, it's what I would refer to as the absolute. And so that's basically where the confusion ends, is is when it's clear that this perception we have of being a separate individual is at the root of all the division that creates what you call suffering throughout our lifetime. So this I is based entirely on belief. There's no real foundation to it, is there? Well, in a sense, you might say there is a foundation to it, and, and you might say, in a sense, it has a function. One of the things that I've found that I need to make very clear to the people that I talk with, and of course in my book, it's one of the major emphasis, is that In our reading of the spiritual material and in our pursuit of this matter, we're often confused by much of the language that's in the material. And one of the areas of confusion that I've found that has to be dealt with is this matter of what in the spiritual tradition they refer to as the relative and what they refer to as the absolute. Mm -hmm. Now, those sound like two different things, but basically... What the teachings are telling us is that these are what you might call aspects of one actuality. So we live as organisms in a relative material world. That's a fact. But the thing is, if that is what our perception is limited to, in other words, if our perception is limited to this idea that that's all there is, 
then we're missing basically another part of the equation, which is that there's something more whole than these parts all just put together. And that's what generally in the spiritual traditions they refer to as the absolute. You're listening to the Urban Guru Cafe. If not for you, I'd be sad and blue. If not for you. As organisms, we have to exist in this relative world. In other words, we have to feed the body and, and do this thing and do that thing in order to function. So from that standpoint, we think of ourselves as someone who's doing some things. So in other words, this I concept, you might say, has a certain practicality or usefulness in the context of the relative material world. But what I'm saying is if we're limited to that perception, that that is all we are and who we are and so on and so forth, this is where we keep ourselves in a dualistic framework from which there must be conflict. Where there's dualism, there's conflict. So the important thing is not that the sense of I is totally and completely eradicated under every circumstance. It's that one sees through what the nature of the eye is and sees what it is in terms of its practical day-to-day worldly uh, meaning, but that that is not what it's all about. There's more to this actuality than just that. There's more to it than that. There's more to, you might say, our identity or, or who or what we are than that. So that's my point in answer to your question before, is that, is that the eye has some functionality, some practicality under certain circumstances, but, but that's where we have to leave it at that and look at something that's greater than that. whole notion when we talk about relativity what is it exactly that you mean by relative it's like something is always in relationship to something else mm-hmm. yes of course mm-hmm. yeah this is the essence of duality in other words because basically we are conditioned from our you know from the very beginning to think in terms of being someone some special entity some person that means that everything else is not that in other words, there's me and everything else that's not me. In Buddhism, they call it the 10,000 things. So this is where the conflict in our life begins. There's me and these things that aren't me, and many of these things that aren't me are threatening to me, and so on and so forth. And where there's division, there's conflict. And so for conflict to end, division must end. So that's where the non-dual teachings come in. In other words, when you recognize that, that this self-identification creates conflict, creates division. And you say to yourself, okay, then how is that ended? 
Well, the teachers are telling us it's ended through non-dual realization. In other words, it's ended when we transcend the divisive thinking on which or in which there is one thing on the one hand and something else on the other hand. There's this thing and that thing, right and wrong, good and bad, so on and so forth. All these dualities, these polarities are divisive. And what the teachers are telling us is that it's possible to transcend that kind of relative perspective wherein there's a perspective in which there aren't those kinds of discriminations made in terms of seeing one thing on the one hand and something else on the other hand. What is seen is that it's all the same. It's all one thing. That word transcend is so overwhelming to a seeker. You know, you talk about transcend and the mind comes up with all these images and ideas and what a huge thing this transcend is. But really, it's not, is it? It's not difficult to examine what you really are. I mean, use this mind to examine what you really are. Well, basically, when we talk about transcending, what we're talking about is letting go. We're talking about emptying. Okay. You know, the, the, the word nirvana means snuff out, like you would snuff out a candle. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about ending these kinds of distinctions, ending even the pursuit of this sort of thing, because that too is in its own way divisive and dualistic. So basically, you know, many people think in terms of the spiritual pursuit that it's a matter of gaining more and more knowledge and more and better practice and reading more and more of this and that and the other thing. But basically, it's not a matter of addition. It's a matter of subtraction. It's a matter of letting go. It's a matter of letting go even of the need or the idea of transcendence. In other words, it's coming to a place of emptiness, which in Buddhism, again, they call the void. So that's the thing I think that many, many seekers miss is that ultimately what we come to is the absence of these concerns and questions and so on and so forth rather than you might say the solution to them and so on. to uh, pick up on that point that you made about it all being, it's all confusion. Can you explain again, we've already gone past this, but come back again to what is it that creates this perpetual confusion? Notice in my book the emphasis is basically on one matter, and that is seeing through self-identity. In other words, seeing through this idea that we hold that we are some particular thing or person or whatever, and recognizing that there's more to it than that, that if there's any identity at all, that basically we can only identify with with the absolute, with the 
infinite and eternal with that which is ever-present everywhere all the time. That's really what our true nature is. I wanted you to talk about was some of those things that you contemplated while you were in this three-year reclusion. Okay. Yeah. What did I contemplate? One of the things that I was reading during those three years, probably more than any other thing, were the writings of Krishnamurti. And one of the things he said in there became almost like a mantra to me. He said at one point, where there's confusion, there's division. I looked in my life and I could see that everywhere that there was confusion in my life, there was division. And he sometimes would reverse that and say, where there's division, there's confusion. And again, I looked around the world at all the division and can see confusion through all that. So this became like a mantra to me, and it became clear that if confusion's the end, then the division has to end. So by division, you're talking about the idea of a me and a separate entity and uh, another person and other objects. That's what you're talking about. The entire dualistic perspective, yes. Okay. The dualistic perspective has to end. Okay, so what did you contemplate about that? You just thought, oh, you just started noticing that when there was confusion, there was division in your mind. You were separating yourself as a separate entity and objects, etc., that's right. You can see it for yourself, basically, if your attention is, is focused on it. You can see that whenever the I thought arises on the screen of consciousness, I, me, mine, all those kind of thoughts, whenever that arises, if you look at it, you can see that there's something about the arising of that I thought which automatically is excluding something or making some division somewhere, making some distinction that is pretty basic and vital. So it doesn't take long to recognize that the I thought is at the very root of this dualistic perspective we have. So the matter is, can this dualistic perspective be transcended, as I say? And the teachers assure us that it can. So that's basically what you might say that the spiritual pursuit is all about. So just by noticing that that was the patterning and that that was what was happening, what the mind stopped engaging in those thoughts or what actually was the result of that examination for you? If you really pay attention to what these spiritual teachers tell us, basically what they're telling us is that we have to die to this life. In other words, we have to die to this worldly reality, as it were, and be open to something that goes further than that or goes beyond what these appearances, these worldly appearances. So it's not just a matter of reading these things or contemplating them. It's a matter of basically surrendering 
to something beyond what we can know. In other words, we move from the known to the unknown. So this is where what you might call practice comes in. The practice is letting go. The practice is letting go of all the things that have to do with this self, with this I. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to recognize that the self or the I is a fiction, but what that leads to is if it's a fiction, then you let go of that. You let go of the things that have to do with the ego and and with pleasing oneself and so on and so forth. So that's really what it comes down to, is that beyond the contemplating, there has to be you might call it action, but it's really inaction. It's a following through with what the teachers tell us. You know, nirvana, as I said before, is basically extinction. So we're talking about letting go of all the things that we think are significant or important to this eye image. It's the exact opposite to what we've been taught, isn't it, Robert? Because all of the other gratifications and pursuit of happiness has been in the external, in acquiring, accumulating. And this is actually about the opposite. It's sort of Nisargadatta's neti neti, isn't it? This is really an important matter already because, first of all, many people think in terms of enlightenment or awakening or self-realization as some kind of a an accomplishment or achievement. In other words, I'm going to remain as I am, like I am, and I'm going to add this thing to myself. So I'm going to just be some greater person than I was before. Secondly, people often think of awakening as some kind of an improvement in their life in terms I'm going to be happier, I'm going to be this thing or that thing or the other thing. You know, nothing really changes in our lives after awakening except for this shift in perspective in which we see through all these things and see that they're meaningless and valueless. You know, if you think you're going to move from unhappiness to happiness, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about transcending ideas about happiness and unhappiness, present with what's present, whatever it is, without qualifying it. Yeah, and transcendence is snuffing it out. That's right. I know transcendence really ultimately means letting it all go and not having anything on the slate. That's what it amounts to. Clavo mi remo en el agua Llevo tu remo en el mío Creo que he visto una luz Al otro lado del río You've got a chapter in your book about a Buddha pointer, nothing to stand on. Yes. Well, basically, that's what we're talking about here. Let me uh, take these last few minutes to to go into something that I often go into with people that I have discussions with. In my opinion, as you'll see in the book, Ramana Maharshi is the pinnacle teacher in our era of non-duality. He's the person that I feel goes to the heart of the matter most succinctly. And of all of his teachings, which to me are very important, the most important one is basically this. He's saying that basically there are three conditions in our life. The waking condition, like we're talking right now, the dream condition when we're in bed at night and uh, 
our mind is still operating uh, maybe in a different time and space framework. And then there's periods of time throughout the night, scientists tell us this, where we go into a deep sleep that is almost coma-like. In other words, there are periods every day when the self disappears. In other words, in our deepest sleep, there is no idea of being there, being present. There's no idea of someone being asleep. There's no idea of the world or any of its problems or any of our conflicts or relationships or anything else. Nothing there, just this presence. If someone were to pinch you or or yell fire or something, you'd wake up. So there's this presence there, but it's just what you might call pure presence. Nothing identified to or with it. So he's saying that this is our underlying condition and that superimposed on this condition is our waking condition. We operate through the day and do the things we do. And then our, you might say, resting or dreaming condition, which is prior to this deep sleep condition. So sometimes people would ask him questions about things that have to do with enlightenment and so on. And he would sometimes say, did that question occur to you in your deep sleep? Of course not. So the point is that nothing really matters. In other words, from the standpoint of, of our ultimate nature, our true nature, nothing matters. Nothing matters. There's going to come a time already when we close our eyes for the last time and this whole goddamn world is going to disappear. Everything. Everything. Everything we know and think, it's all going to just completely disappear. The dream completely ends. So that's really the bottom line. If you recognize that that's what our life is about, what this actuality is all about, that puts things in pretty good perspective. You can live from that place, recognizing that ultimately it's a blank screen. Ultimately it's a void. So, you know, that's what I'm getting at, really. Well, it's a wonderful way to live. In other words, I certainly have no regrets in terms of the changes that have taken place in my life. As I said, we move from the known to the unknown. We don't know what is to unfold when we, you might say, surrender ourselves to this nirvana. But I certainly have no regrets. My life has just been a blessing and much richer than I could have anticipated. You've been listening to the Urban Guru Cafe. Our guest this week, Robert Wolf, speaking about his new book, Living Non-Duality. The Urban Guru Cafe is produced in Australia.
Nothing. Nothing. You're just rummaging around in the box for no reason. Not for no reason. I'm looking for something. Well, what are you looking for? Nothing. 